Wow, all right, let's get to it. Hey, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for what we got to celebrate this weekend. Um, the darkest spot that you were in, Christ, uh, and then the most glorious thing that, that human history has ever seen, all on the same weekend. And I'm blown away by that. Uh, Father, I've been moved by that this week. And, uh, and I pray that you just help us look back at that again tonight. The, the bonus Easter service that we get to have on a Monday night in this auditorium. So God, every soul that's in this place, I believe you have here for a reason. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd meet us. If there's stuff in our hearts and our souls and our emotions that's pulling us away, that's distracting us from you, God, I pray that you'd just clean that up for us right now. You'd allow us to just, to just lay that, that stuff, that garbage at your feet um, and allow you to sort and sift through it right now, Christ. And Spirit, you'd meet us in a unique way tonight. I'm grateful for the space that we'll be in, and I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, I want to uh, launch into our text tonight by talking about something that um, I'm guessing not very many of you in the room have experience with, that I probably have more experience with. I'm not trying to say that arrogantly. It's just the fact that most of you haven't had babies probably, okay? So Joe and I have had six kids, so we have walked through the process of naming a human being six times. Okay? I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, um, but naming a human being is a really weird thing because it feels really important, but it's also somebody that you haven't met yet. <laughs> so you're like, we don't want to mess this up. This kid's got to live with us forever, right? Um, I, I always made the joke that, like with Levi's birth certificate, if I signed it with like a little smiley face on the eye, that that would be his legal signature forever, <laughs> that he would have to do that for the rest of his life. But it's, I should have done that. And if only I'd have known that he wouldn't have minded, that would have been great. Um, but no, each of our kids, I was, I was thinking through their names as I was prepping for tonight. Um, Nora's name, is, uh, which is the only one technically that isn't like the, the typical biblical, biblical name in our family. Um, but, but Nora's name can mean light. That's part of the meaning of her name. And uh, Ezra is, is like you step up each one of these. Zechariah is the Lord remembers. And you get to Ezra, which is God protects. Um, we have Silas. If you, if you just look up on like a baby name database, Silas's name will be like forest or woods, okay? But the Hebrew of his name uh, means prayed for. Uh, Levi's name means joined together or harmony. Elijah's name uh, means Jehovah is my God. You know, each one of these, as, as we sat and processed through these, and it was like some of these have connection with family names. Like we brought, um, you know, uh, Nora's middle name is Genevieve after one of Joe's grandparents, her grandma. And so it's this, it's this marriage of meaning and, and uh, history and, and kind of hope and future. Like what do I want this person how do they fit into our family, and what does this represent in the stage of life? It's weird, and, and I'm not the only one making that decision. So not only that, but Joe and I have to agree. So, you know, we'll, one of us will come to the table and be like, hey, so I was thinking Oscar, you know, and she'd be like, no, well, we're not doing that, you know, or, or whatever else. I don't even know. I don't even remember the names that we had that, that you just didn't meet in the middle on because you're not, you don't want to, like, talk somebody into a name that, that they, it's going to be their child's name forever, you know? And so even when we were, we knew that we loved the name Nora, it was funny because we couldn't decide to spell her name with an, with an H or without an H. And 
we got to the hospital like when Joe was in labor and the, the nurse was asking us questions and she said, do you know the name? Because sometimes people don't. Sometimes people go to the hospital without the decision yet. And we said, well, we know we want it to be Nora, but we don't want it to be, we don't know if it should have an H or not on the end of it. And she goes, well, let's do this. And she pulled out a marker and she wrote Nora in huge letters on the dry erase board without, a, without an H and with an H. And she said, what do you think? And we both looked at each other and we were like, with an H. It looks right. Like we both knew it was weird in that moment that we both looked at each other and it's like, that's what it's supposed to be. And so she's like, sweet. So she erased it and off we went. It was like, well, I guess that's decided now. I, I, you guys, this is weird and I don't, I'm not saying this so that I can get like your pity or weird emails tomorrow. So please don't. Okay. Um, I didn't grow up liking my name. I know that's like weirdly sad to say, but it seemed too plain. Uh, it seemed too simple. Um, and I remember just wishing that I had, maybe this is just like a junior high boy thing where you're like, man, I wish I had some super secret amazing name, you know, that everybody, and that's just not what I had. What's beautiful though is, is I feel like I've grown into it. And there are two pieces of that. One is I feel like I realized there is history in my name I just didn't understand. I was too little, maybe too immature to understand the meaning that was given to me and handed to me by the people who came before me. So part of it was me, need, me needing in, to lean into what was already there that I didn't know was already there. And part of it, you guys, was me needing to create meaning for my name. Part of it was me needing to live my life in a way where my name had the meaning that I wanted it to have. Does that make sense? And I wonder tonight if some of you are in that same space where you may not know what's been handed to you. You may not understand what your name means yet, and I don't just mean whatever the internet fills it in with, like this is, this is who you are. No, I'm talking about you may not fully understand the things that God wants to create in your name. It's a beautiful thing to think about. Names represent a lot. And what we're going to talk about tonight is actually Jesus, who is what? Name above all names. That's like one of his titles, this idea that he has the greatest name that's ever been given. I, gave, I, just, I don't have him up on the board, but I have three different scriptures. Ephesians 1, he is a far above every name that has ever been named. Hebrews 1, 4, the name that Jesus inherited is superior to angels. That's not bad. Hebrews author throwing that out there. And the text we will be in later tonight, Philippians 2.9, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. I mean, his name, I, like, I, I love the names that we chose for our kids. They have deep meaning to me. They are discovering their own meaning for their names as we go. But when it comes to the name of Jesus, his name sits up here. But can I tell you something crazy about the way that Jesus lived and walked on this earth? He didn't behave that way. Like I was, I was looking in John 7 and 8, there, there are tons of instances where people come to him and they're amazed at his teaching and he says, oh, that's not my teaching, that's my heavenly father's teaching. I can only say what my heavenly father says. Or they'll come and they'll look at him and, and they'll be amazed or astounded and he'll be like, no, I only do what my heavenly father is doing. The, the greatest person who has ever walked the earth. You know how like we say sometimes, if somebody's full of themselves, you'll be like, well, man, they really think they're God's gift to humanity. You know, it's like, this really was God's gift to humanity. Jeez, that's not, there's no sarcasm in that. Jesus is walking around as God's gift to humanity, and yet he's deflecting often back to the Father. You try to point a light at him, and he's like, the Father, I am here as a reflection of the Father. I can only do what he does. I can only teach what he teaches. I am him. 
Weird, isn't it? Crazy that the highest name, the greatest name, the name above all names would be the one who, who is deflecting, the one who's like, no, 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 no. But that's the way the kingdom of God works. If you haven't caught it so far, I mean, we're only doing this little greatest series that we're doing, pulling out a few truths, the big truths from Scripture. It's just a few weeks at the end of the semester. It's just too important for us to skip. So I really wanted to grab these last four weeks of us just talking about these big things. But if you haven't noticed, the kingdom of God runs by upside-down rules. Upside-down rules. Sometimes people call it the upside-down economy of the kingdom of God, right? Matthew 16, 25 when Jesus says, hey, if you want to save your life, you have to lose your life. You want to lose your life, you have to save your life. Like the, it's backwards from the way that the human kingdom stuff works. The human kingdom, you have to struggle to survive. Jesus says, no, you surrender. You surrender your life over, and then it will be given back to you. Those are kingdom principles. It's like, oh, that's so backwards. It's not the way that we do things on this planet. The first will be last. The first will be last, Jesus says. He, even, he gives multiple parables to describe that one. The first will actually be last. You put yourself in front of the food line and somebody comes and just moves the food line to the back and suddenly the people in the back are first and the people in the front are in the back. That's what Jesus says is that the kingdom of heaven is like. But there's another one that's incredibly important that I want to land on tonight. And I've only got, a, like, I have a bit of a sermonette tonight. It's not, not I, I have not prepped the way I normally do for tonight because I want to spend more time worshiping and putting this into practice than just me speaking it out loud to you, okay? But the scripture that I want to give you is this one, I hope. Let me see if my little... Oh, you guys, I think I'm out of battery. I might have to have you put it up there for me. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Matthew 23, 12. This is one of those moments where Jesus flips things on their head. You want to be exalted, and you guys, we all do. Everybody on the earth, like, we want our name to matter. We want to, like, even in our humble moments, there's that piece of pride in us that would be like, I'd like to be seen and recognized for what I do, right? Jesus says, no, you humble yourself. You humble yourself. Those who humble themselves will be exalted in the right time. God is the one who's in charge of that. James says that. Humble yourself, and the Lord will exalt you at the proper time. I was, this is so long ago, when Joe and I were at Eastern um, as a part of a campus ministry group down there, uh, we meet together here with the other campus ministers um, about once a month and we pray together for you guys and for the campus and stuff. Well, we had the same thing down there, but down there it was a little more official. We had kind of like an official association and there was a thing we did once a year where we had lunch with the university president, okay? <clears throat> and so a lot of people showed up because they wanted to meet the university president and see them and be seen by them and kind of it's like this networking moment, right? And I have this distinct moment where all, there's probably 30 of us in this small university room. They're catering lunch and, and everybody gets there and the president of the university hadn't arrived yet, you know? Um, and uh, I, were you there for that? I feel like you were, because we were standing kind of back in a corner together, and it was interesting because there was a spot that had sort of been set out for the president, um, and you were watching everybody position themselves, like, you know, pretending to make, like, small talk, but really kind of moving over to a seat as close to that spot as they could get, and then, like, claiming their chair and sitting down. And so, you know, we're just kind of in the corner watching all of this positioning happening of people trying to get as close to this where this person he's not even there yet but they're they're trying to get into that space he showed up like 10 minutes late everybody was all in their seats there were two seats like obvious spaces right in the center that he and his wife should be at and I watched him look at those 
and then walk all the way to the back side, around the side, where were these two spaces in the very back that weren't actually too far from us, and, and sit there. And you watch the whole room kind of like shift, because <laughs> everybody thought their little places of importance, like uh, it, it had just been upended in that moment. And those are the images that we have Jesus trying to say. He's like, you, you try to position yourself. It doesn't work that way. God is the one who's in charge of exalting you. That's his business, not your business. And what's so beautiful about us being able to look at that tonight is that we come out of the season where we see that most of all. The text I want to give you guys, actually, sorry, force of habit. Mackenzie, you got me? Perfect. Is actually in Philippians 2. Paul is writing to the church and he's describing what Jesus did and he says this, Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." You guys, all I want you to hear tonight, I got, I'm preaching one point tonight. What I want you to hear tonight is the reason why Jesus could be elevated to this is because he humiliated himself to that. Him emptying himself and pouring himself out was the reason why he could be elevated to the place that he was. He is the fulfillment of this principle. If you humble yourself, you will be exalted. And you want to be like, well, how does that really work? Just like I said last week, look to Jesus. You guys, look to Jesus. Look at the most humiliating moment of his life. Let's do that together. Let's do that together. We'll look at Mark 15, what I think is the bottom of the bottom. I'm just going to, I'm going to put this over here so I'm not tempted to carry it around. Mackenzie, you got me? Mark 15, the soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters. Let, and let me just remind you where we are. Jesus lived for 33 years on this earth. Last week, we celebrated what would have been the last week of his life. He comes into Jerusalem on a Sunday. We call that the triumphal entry. Thursday, they prepare the Passover as it turns into Friday, which would be that night, for, so Friday night for us. He's crucified. He's, well, I'm sorry. He's arrested. He's beaten. He's tortured. He's given a fake trial. He's put out on a cross, and he's murdered. And Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection where he rose again. So this is the beginning of that torture where he's drug off. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters called the, the Praetorium and called out the entire regiment. So these are the Roman soldiers. They dressed him in a purple robe. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And then they saluted him and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. And when they're finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again, and then they led him away to be crucified. This is already after he was scourged, beaten with a cat of nine tails, until he was almost dead. Do you see it? Do you see Christ humiliated? Humbled might not be the right word. Humiliated. Jump to the next slide for me, Mackenzie. Publicly stripped. 
he was almost certain if he wasn't completely naked, then he was almost naked with just like un what we would consider underwear on as he was scourged at most. We're told at the end of the passage we just read that after they put that robe on him and took it off, they had to put his clothes back on him again. His clothes weren't on him when this was happening. Publicly stripped. Can you imagine that humiliation in a crowd? Stripped and then beaten within an inch of your life, truly within an inch of your life. Crown of thorns forced on him. Giant spikes shoved down, like under his skin, into his scalp. Spit upon. Beaten after he had already been beaten. Soldiers kneeling in front of him, mocking him. You guys, the level of mockery here, I'm not trying to just, just raise an emotional moment here. I want you to understand what Jesus endured in this moment is by choice. At any moment, he could have wiped the earth clean. He certainly had the authority. He certainly had the angelic power at his disposal. He makes it clear before this that he is doing this for us. He has intention of enduring this on our behalf, followed by the cross and the murder that would happen there on it. The crown of thorns representing his humiliation. A willing humbling. So if in the kingdom of God, those who humble themselves will be exalted, then what does it work when somebody humbles themselves this much, when it looks like this? Well, that's what we have down here on the next one. Christ exalted. Christ exalted. You guys, listen to these passages. Don't miss these, please. You ready? Revelation 1, 13 and 15. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. That is Christ exalted. Not beat up, not bloody, not naked, but white robe, golden sash, white hair, eyes like flames of fire, feet like burnished bronze in a furnace, and his voice like the roar of waters. That is who Jesus is. That is what God exalted him to. Stripped and naked? Nope. What about the crown of thorns? Quite the contrary, Revelation 4, 9 through 11. When the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who's seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They'll cast their, their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Not only isn't he being mocked with a crown of thorns, every crown that exists from leaders is tossed at his feet in that moment. That's the glory that comes from our Heavenly Father, from Jesus exalted in his face. Remember the soldiers who were kneeling in mockery? No, the text that we already read tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. It is crazy that in this moment with, the, with the, the Roman soldiers who are there to mock him, that there is just, if you squint your eyes, there's a shadow of the thing that is to come. 
They're doing it in mockery. They're doing it in humiliation. They're doing it in jest. They're doing to make him miserable. But what they're doing is a shadow of the thing that will happen. It'll just happen in all its glory. I want you to catch a picture of that tonight. I want you to see our Christ humiliated. I want you to see it. I want you to look at it. I want you to stare at it. I don't like it. You shouldn't like it either, but I want you to see it because if you see it, you see the opposite at work. You see someone who's humbled himself so much that he can be exalted like this. And then when you squint your eyes, you're like, actually, in the crucifixion, I see a piece of glory. I see the exalted one sitting in the humbled one. And that inspires me to live out the same thing that Jesus has been asking me to live out, to humble myself, that in the proper time, Christ will exalt me. I'm to imitate him in that way. Why is Jesus far above every name that's ever been named? Why is his name superior to the angels themselves? Why will all bow at his name and confess that he is Lord? Because he humbled himself to this level. Greater than any human being has ever humbled themselves. He humbled himself, and therefore, Philippians 2 says, God has exalted him to the name above every other name that every knee will bow and tongue confess that Christ is Lord. It's a good name. And so tonight, we get to worship that name. That's it. I just want to push that out to you, that we get to sing praises to that kind of a name. Because why? Why did he endure that? Just for kicks? Because he was bored that weekend? No. Because there was a price to be paid for my sin. And from the very beginning of time, he knew when he created us this was coming. He knew to give people a choice to choose against him, he would have to redeem them and bring them back. And this was the cost that he chose. Not just for us as humanity, but for you in the room. As you sing tonight, I want you to personalize that. I want you to think about a God who didn't just die, as Phil said earlier this year, for you, but died instead of you. You could have had a place on that cross. I want you to think tonight that God did not just die for humanity, but you fill in the blank with your name that's personalized. You matter to him. I want you to think tonight about the name the name that will cause every knee to bow and tongue to confess that he's Lord, the name that is the way, the truth, and the life, the name that is our source of joy and hope and purpose that brings forgiveness of sin, the one who's gone before us to prepare a place for us, the one who is our hope and comfort, the one who knew your name before you were even born, the one who first loved us before we could even love him. That's who we're coming together and worshiping tonight, that name. Let's pray. Jesus, as we sing and lift up your name tonight, I have so much gratitude in my heart because as I explore this forest, it just keeps getting bigger and crazier that you would love me this much. So thank you for this truth that just sits way beyond what we understand, Christ, and I pray that you'd help us lean into it in new and fresh ways tonight. Hear our worship as just a thank you, Jesus, that we sing back to you. We pray all this in and through your sacrifice. Amen.